Uh, this is John Green. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host. It's good to be with you today. Here we are in the first Sunday after the day of Advent. And that's one of the things to keep in mind, and that is is that, that Advent is not just a day in our calendar. It's actually an entire season that leads up to Lent, actually. So Epiphany, what is the point of Epiphany and having a season of Epiphany? And, and so it's just kind of got to get a, this big overview of um, the church calendar that most people don't have, and a lot of you may not have any earthly idea what I'm talking about even. In the uh, liturgical church world, we follow a calendar of lessons, and those lessons begin um, the first Sunday of Advent, actually. And so we, we keep through Advent and then a couple of weeks of Christmas and then several weeks of Epiphany then into Lent for 40 days, then to Easter, and then 50 days later, that's the season of Easter, actually, from Easter Sunday until 50 days later, which is Pentecost, which means 50. So then after that, we have what's known as sort of ordinary time is the old way of speaking about it. So the flow is sort of, okay, we're looking at what leads up to the coming of Christ, and that's Advent season. So we're preparing ourselves to receive Him again, to, to celebrate the Incarnation. It's important that we celebrate the Incarnation specifically and that we do so every single year. But we've got to get our hearts right to celebrate it. And that's what the preparation season of Advent's for. And then we have a couple of weeks of Christmas that ends on Epiphany, which is January the 6th. And then from Epiphany to Lent, and I'm not going to get into the whole mechanics of the calendar as far as how many days that is and all that, but it can be eight weeks, it can be nine weeks, it can be seven weeks. So anyway, it depends on when we calculate Easter for that year. So what we get then is is that so we move from Epiphany, which is the continuing revelation of Jesus to the world. We're, we're, we're refreshing our memory on the ways in which God revealed him, not just mechanically revealed, but what was revealed in those particular episodes, beginning with the baptism of Jesus. So, And then we move to Easter. I think everybody surely knows what that means. It's the resurrection of Jesus. That's after Lent, which is the season of preparation for Easter. It's a time of penance and penitence when we are reminded of our sins, when we are reminded of our need for the crucifixion and the resurrection. Those are important things to remember, but again, we've prepared ourselves for that through the season of Lent. And then after Easter, we have a, a celebration. Sometimes they're they are called the great 50 days between Easter and Pentecost when the outpouring of the Spirit occurs. So during those first 40 days, Jesus is, remember, still on earth for 40 days before the ascension to the right hand of the Father. And he says, I have to go to the Father so that the Spirit can be poured out. And so we recall the appearances after the resurrection to his disciples in those 40 days. And then we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension. And then 10 days later, we celebrate the giving of the Spirit. And then that's Pentecost. And then the rest of this, the season that leads up then to the next Advent is sort of taken up with um, how to live it out. How to live it out. What does life in the Spirit look like? And it's, in, it, it's lived in conformity to the Word of God. And so we look at Jesus' teachings during that period of time. And then we begin all over again. 
So here we are. We're in the season of Epiphany. We're reminding ourselves of the ways in which God revealed His Son after the Incarnation. And so today what we've got is uh, a, a series of lessons that has a lot to do with the voice of God. Beginning with Genesis 1, 1 to 5, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It's this ominous sort of nothing is there. Um, something is being has been created, so you've got the heavens and the earth there, but, but they are formless and void, and there's a darkness over the face of the deep. There's this sort of ominous void is the best word that I know how to use there with something in it but it's not something of value and worth at that point and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters though and that's a very different thing and then we, we can get into a whole lot there but I'm not going to do it now over what that means about the face of the deep and the face of the waters there's a serious distinction there and if I ever decide to or get the time <laughs> to do an extended series on Genesis again, then, then I'll do that for you. Um, and then God said, so the voice of God comes into this void and this darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, day one. And so from there, everything else takes shape, takes form. So these things be become distinct. But it's by the voice of God that all things are created, and that's what John's getting at when he says in his gospel that all things were created by him and through him, referring to Jesus. He's the word of God. And so all things come into being through him. He's the agency through which all things are created. So it's the word, the spoken word of God that brings everything into creation and into being. And you got to begin with light because you can't have life without light. So that's the first thing that comes into being. And we can talk again when, we go, when I go back and have time to do a Genesis series. I'll spend the time to talk about all those things in light of the Big Bang and everything else because the Big Bang would certainly have started things with light. All explanations come back to light. No matter how you get a universe brought into being, light is the first essential element and the first thing that would happen. So... <clears throat> But it's God's voice, we think, we believe, we know, because it's in the Word of God that creates all things. And so it's a unique way of bringing things into being. It speaks of God's creative power being inherent in Him. It doesn't require Him to do things physically to do that. His power is so great that He can just speak things into being. And so there's one thing in creation that's not spoken into being, in fact. That one thing is humankind. God physically gets involved in the making of man, takes some of the dust of the earth and fashions it in his hands and then breathes into what he has fashioned, the breath of life. It's a powerful, intimate, and personal act of creation. But the, the 
the voice of God is so powerful. And so the, the psalm for today is actually Psalm 29, and it's a psalm that I preached only once. <laughs> I've referred to it many times, but I only preached it one time, and I preached it in Rwanda. When I was visiting there in about 2000, we, I, was visit, I was the development director for the province, and, and one of the things that I did in familiarizing myself with the job as well as with the people who were um, diocesan development directors, was I traveled to all the dioceses and spent time in those. And I saved the sort of one of my favorites for last because I was particularly close with the bishop in Ruangari, which is the extreme northwest of the country, right on the Ugandan border, in fact, near where the mountain gorillas are. I saved that one for last because I wanted to spend a little bit more time there because I had friends who had moved up there to become missionaries up actually in, uh, it's actually Shira Diocese, not Ruangari. John lived in, in Ruangari, Bishop John Ruciana, and up a little further from there, up in the volcanic mountains, um, my friends Caleb and Louise King lived in Shira and had a medical mission there. And so I saved that one for last. Well, I got up there, and I was there on a, I think I got there on a Friday night and spent the night, that did, and spent the night Friday night and then got up early the next morning, and we were going to take a tour of the diocese, a lot of which was, well, rural would be one way to say it, and a lot of it's in the bush, frankly. It's, in the, it's a very mountainous area. There's a really rocky, volcanic road that goes up to Shira from Ruangari. And there was, and then we went all the way over to um, the Congolese border, to Goma, and spent some time there. But that morning, as I was getting ready to leave, we were headed out, and and Bishop Ruchihana said, "Oh, by the way, you're preaching in the cathedral tomorrow." Well, I'm going to be gone all day. What am I going to do? And so I just kind of quickly looked at the lessons in this this chapter 29 or ver, uh, Psalm 29. <laughs> particularly stood out to me that day because I, I had become accustomed when I was there to, to trying to hear from the Lord because I had fewer distractions in my life. Um, Suzanne wasn't with me and I was staying in a, a guest house and um, didn't have you know television and things like that. So didn't have all the distractions that I would have had were I at home and so I had more time by myself. I didn't have to make the time, it was just there. And so I'd become way more accustomed to hearing God's voice and, and responding to it. And so, in fact, so much so that when Suzanne um, and I came back, she met me in England, and when we came back, um, we were driving back to Pauly's Island from Knoxville, I think, and uh, as we were coming back, we were driving along, and I have a really bad habit when I drive, right? So my really bad habit is, is that I follow far too closely behind the people in front of me. Um, we can get into the psychology of that, or we can just say that's what John does. So anyway, we were driving along, and I, I just knew that I knew that I knew something and started, started backing off from this vehicle in front of me. And Suzanne asked me what I was doing, why I was slowing down so much. And, and I said, I, I believe the pallets that are on the back of that are getting ready to come off. And there was nothing to tell you that was the case. But sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Pallets started coming off the back of this truck in front of us and were flying around. And if we had been right behind them where John normally would have been, one would have come right through the windshield and probably killed us all. So it was that kind of an experience where my, I was tuned to listening to the Lord much more so than I normally am. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. So 
anyway, so uh, th that stuck out to me. This psalm did. Listen to it. Ascribe to the Lord, you gods. Huh. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Mount Hermon like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord splits the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe and strips the forest bare. And in the temple of the Lord all are crying glory. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forevermore. The Lord shall give strength to his people. The Lord shall give his people the blessing of peace. So the, this idea of the voice of the Lord is a captivating idea. And so we're going to see in the gospel, we're going to see it there. And then I'm going to mention a couple of other things to you about that as we think about the voice of the Lord. And what does it mean in Scripture? What does it mean throughout the, the whole um, canon of Scripture, actually. And so we're going to look at Mark 1, 4 to 11. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So it's clear, right, what John's doing. He's saying you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and it, it's what they do. They will take a mikvah to cleanse you of sins. They'll take a bath to do that. It's accompanied by the confession of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. It's an interesting image, right? I mean, John's a little bit different would be the way most people would look at it. But, but he's different in a way that actually aligns him with Elijah who could have been described in much the same way. And this is in John Preach saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. That's ultimate humility there, because if you as a Jewish person had sold yourself into slavery to another Jewish person, you couldn't be asked to do that, because it was considered too menial, too debasing to ask another Jew to do such a thing. Um, and John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. He says, I've baptized you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came up from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came down from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased. So you see this sort of the fulfillment of the promise of Noah <clears throat> that God's enmity would completely end with the chosen people. The dove that Noah set free that didn't come back to him now comes and lights upon Jesus when the heavens are torn open. <clears throat> and then the voice, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. It's a very personal proclamation. It's not a proclamation that's ever frankly been issued before. But this voice comes from heaven. And so we see through the course of Jesus' life, we see other times when this happens. We see it at the transfiguration when 
the voice of the Lord says to James and Peter and John that this is his beloved son and we are to listen to him. So now they're, they're to get rid of those other voices, the voices of Moses and the voice of Elijah, and they're supposed to focus intently on what Jesus says. What he's saying is, is, is that don't go back and listen to and rely on what you think you know about what they said because he's revealing all things to you. You can't listen to their voices without bringing something else to the table, with, without bringing what you think you know to the table. And so you need to get rid of that clutter and tune in specifically to this one, to what he's saying to you. He's bringing a fuller revelation of what's come before. And so then it's in that time when Jesus is, is transfigured and then he literally stands alone. And so there's one other time when you hear the voice of the Lord, and it's in John 12, actually. It's after Jesus has made the triumphal entry uh, in what we know as Palm Sunday. And then so he comes in, and then remember in John 12, what you see is the Greeks come. Some Greek seekers, they're um, probably proselytes. They're probably people who have accepted the Jewish faith but have not converted they haven't been uh, circumcised. And so they come after they see this triumphal entry and hear the proclamation of his people of Hosanna, Lord, save us. And then they come and they ask the disciples, sir, we would see Jesus. And the disciples don't know what to do. And so they come to Jesus and they explain things to him. They think this is fantastic. The whole world literally is coming to Jesus at this point. These Greek-speaking uh, Gentile proselytes are there, and, and Jesus' response to it is, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I've glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him, and Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And so there were some there that heard this, some there that, were, that heard that. John tells us what the voice says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. But you get some people say, well, there was an angel that must have spoken to him, and then others said it thundered. I don't know how you could misunderstand that. Except, remember, back in that psalm, what it says, and that is, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the God of glory thunders. Huh. Well, would it surprise you to know that in the Old Testament, whenever God speaks to Moses in, 19, in chapter 19 in Exodus, that word is kol, K-O-L in English. <clears throat> but what it means is either voice or thunder. So that word thunder, if you just go to BibleGateway.com and search for thunder, 
you'll find some really interesting things about that word. You'll see it used in a variety of contexts, but it's pretty much always when God speaks. And that's from beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. You'll see that word used that way. You'll see it in the Psalms. You'll see it in, in 1 Samuel. You'll see it in Exodus. You'll see it everywhere. Job, um, Isaiah, and a bunch of other places. And it's fascinating that it continues to say, that mean either thunder or voice all through. And then you get all the way to the end. You come into um, Revelation, and you'll see it in chapter 14, and then you'll see it again in chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our the God Almighty reigns. It's a powerful way of looking at that. And so you see this, that, that there's a tuning of the ear that tunes it away from just hearing thunder to hearing the voice within the thunder. It's a mighty and powerful thing, we're told in Psalm 29. But then there's another place, right, when we hear it, when it's not in the thunder. It's in the still small voice calling Elijah and asking Elijah to repent asking him why he's there in the cave and not with the people because he's run from Jezebel. And I think that's something we can sort of take into account in this story of the baptism because it begins before that, right? When John comes, the people are coming to him and they're being baptized by him in the River Jordan and they're confessing their sins. John's preaching a message of the coming of the Messiah, the one who will execute just judgment, first on the people of God and then on the earth. And so these people are coming and they're being prepared for the coming of the Messiah by baptizing themselves, cleansing themselves, purifying themselves. It's accompanied with repentance and confession. When they come, then comes Jesus, who has nothing to confess. But the confession comes in the voice from heaven. You're my love, beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, you have nothing to confess, but I'm pleased that you have now associated yourself with sinners. The first way, and that's in baptism. And so we see this voice proclaiming that. And people seem to have heard that word that day, that God's voice came in such a way that it could be heard by all there because it that voice needed to be clear sometimes the voice does come in thunder and fury and other times it comes in the still small voice and what did i say about that still small voice that was the conviction of sin it was the it was the way god came in in tenderness to ask Elijah why he had abandoned the mission field, why he'd he abandoned his post, the post that God had so graciously given to him. And he gets this reminder that he's in the wrong place, that he's quit. But, but it comes in that still small voice which allows Elijah to confess and to repent. There's a certain amount of judgment in it at that time because what he does then is to say your time's ended so he sends him back to anoint a king a general and a prophet to replace him ultimately Elijah like all of us fails 
He failed like Moses failed. He failed like every man who had come before him, every man who has come since, except Jesus, who was without sin. And so that still, small voice comes and it convicts us of sin. That's a big thing that we need to, to get more accustomed to is the voice of God convicting us of sin. And there's a tenderness in the way that he convicts us and brings that conviction in our lives until we have failed to repent and then it has to be the hard way. Too often we lose sight of that and, and we, we don't want to confess our sins. We want to hide from those things. And if somebody says something to confront us, then we want to make an excuse. We want to make some other story about it. And that's the reason God's voice comes tenderly in conviction, not harshly in condemnation. When God's convicting you of sin, He at least begins <laughs> quietly and tenderly in His voice calling you to that. Jesus tells us the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. And so the conviction comes in such a way that you can come naked and ashamed and allow him to, be clothe, him to clothe you in the righteousness of Jesus. So when he asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Well, we knew we'd done something wrong, so we've hidden ourselves from you in more ways than one. And then he goes from there and then he covers them. And there's a mercy there because they don't die immediately. But now death has come into the world. And so with the same is true with conviction of sin, that God's calling us to hear his voice so that we can become closer because our sin's dragging us further and further away and the voice has to get louder and more insistent in order to get our attention because what he wants is that closeness of relationship that's only possible to the extent that we're dealing with sin and we're allowing ourselves to be covered in the blood of Jesus and covered by his righteousness that we can then draw close to him. And then the other thing we have to think about is, is what does it mean to, to hear the word of God today? And Paul, in the Acts 19 passage, it says it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. So some, so some mission work had gone on before him, and the implication here that Apollos had done this and then we see later that that's probably true. And, and Paul asked these disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? There's something Paul sees that's missing in these people. And they said, no, we've not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about, Paul? We have no earthly idea what you're talking about. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism, which is the baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That's Jesus. So Paul's now the one making the proclamation that came from heaven that day. And on hearing this, they were then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So what happened when Paul laid hands on them and asked the Holy Spirit to baptize them. They began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. In other words, they became the voice of the Lord into the world, and that's what we're called to be as well. We're called to be the voice of God, proclaiming truth, proclaiming Jesus Christ, proclaiming all the things that we say in the, 
Nicene Creed, for instance, leading up to and, and concluding with the judgment of the world and the coming of his kingdom. You know what? Here's the thing. Right now, the thing that concerns me more than anything else in the church, and I mean in the pulpit, but I also mean the people, and that is, is that this is a weird time, and we've lost in a lot of ways. We've lost or are losing. Whichever side you're on in this whole political thing, we've lost our prophetic voice, the proclamation of the coming of God's kingdom, and we've gotten completely tied up in the political voice of the church, and that's about the proclamation of either Donald Trump's kingdom or Joe Biden's kingdom. And, and man, it's ugly. It's ugly on Facebook. It's ugly everywhere. And, I, and the reality is, is what we've got to do as a church, as a people of God, is we have to spend more time in prayer than we do on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. We've got to listen to God's voice because right now we're consuming far too much clutter and the clutter overwhelms the noise, overwhelms the voice. You can choose between noise or God's voice. You can't have both. And the church needs to get more tuned to that. If we're to speak prophetically into the world, and if we are to be God's people in the world, then we have to do something like John did. You know, John goes out into the wilderness, and, and he's different. He's a different kind of a cat. But he's listening to God's voice. And he's proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom. He's not concerned about the religious kingdom, he's not concerned about the political kingdom, he's not concerned about any of that. And we see that whenever John goes into prison, it's because he has, he has spoken truth to power, and that's the reason ultimately John loses his life and is beheaded. It's because he speaks truth to power. Paul does the same thing if you follow through his life, particularly when he begins to go through the trials after his arrest, you'll see him speaking truth to power in one place and another place and another place. He goes from kings to other kinds of earthly rulers within the Roman system, and he speaks truth to all of them and proclaims the gospel to him. The voice of the Lord is to be heard by his people by coming before him and listening to him, listening to him through the reading of the word, meditation on the word and prayer, and then proclaiming that word. You're to be the voice of God into this world. We're actually to proclaim him, not to proclaim politi politicians or anything else. We have one job, to be the voice of God into this world that is in so many ways formless and void and darkness covering the face of the deep let's commit ourselves to that let's commit ourselves to listening in this year rather than speaking the words of man and proclaiming politicians you've been listening to faith seeking understanding my name is john green and it's always an honor to be with you and to be able to to divide god's word with you as well got any questions, comments, or prayer requests, please reach out to me on the Faith Seeking Understanding uh, Facebook page, and I'll be happy to engage with you there. I hope you have a great week, and we will be back again next week at the same time. Mm -hmm.